things are accelerating, which is the yeah, which is the the main takeaway. I know there's some know? of these growth rates you get sent them, and you're like, is that per year or yeah. like over like a cumulative period or whatever we we've been looking at. I'm Drew Brenneman, and this is the Rise and Invest podcast. I bought my first two properties as a 19-year-old with my own money that I earned from an online business I started in high school. I've now grown my portfolio from that first duplex to hundreds of millions of dollars of investment property. My goal with this show is to give you the resource I wanted when I first started out. Subscribe to our podcast where I break down real-life stories, tactics, strategies, and current market information you need to be a successful investor. With us here today is Sam Markham and Evan Dillon, uh, both on our acquisitions team here at Rise Invest. Welcome, guys. Thanks for having us. Yep. Thanks a lot, Drew. Awesome. Yeah, excited to have you guys. I mean, wanted to get on here and just shoot an episode, you know, kind of current events, current market trends, you know, what we're seeing out there in the market. I mean, we've just kind of recently underwrote, I mean, just a ton of deals and uh, we all went to Phoenix a few weeks ago. And then this last week, uh, Sam has been, been in three states here. Traveling around, yeah. Uh, Arizona. I'm back in Illinois. So, oh, yeah. So, just wanted to get on here and kind of share what we're seeing. I think just uh, like as for introductions, you know, Sam, you know, previously you worked at some pretty, you know, cool real estate shops. I mean, prior to coming to Rise Invest and just got your graduate degree in real estate from UW Madison. So, it's happy, yeah, to, let's go. happy to have you on the team. And, you know, you've been amazing at sourcing deals. You know, just just started here in June, but already making a huge impact. So appreciate it. Part of our, you know, strategy here at Rise is, you know, sourcing off market opportunities and, you know, definitely led the team in most cold calls and, you know, most uh, sourced off market deals for sure. So it's been a, been a big value add. It's been fun so far. And then Evan, I mean, you previously worked at a institutional real estate shop, I mean, like just under 50 billion in assets under management. Um, you know, when you had uh, heard about what you were doing, I mean, I can't imagine somebody in the last four years have under uh, has underwritten more deals than you. Uh, so that's well, correct. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So one and a half billion dollars worth of closed transactions in four years. I can't imagine what uh, just underwritten deals what that would amount to. Probably a lot. But even just the the amount when we were at the airport uh, going down to Phoenix, we we're asking like how many. Per week was that, and the number it was it was as high, like more than ten, basically. And these it it helps boosting those numbers up when you work in self storage specifically. Um, for probably the last year and a half, I was at that shop um, where we were doing you know portfolio of transactions of twenty, all the way to a hundred properties. A lot of underwriting. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, how would so what does that even uh, look like then? So you have this this portfolio, there's a hundred buildings 100 properties in it like how are you even like able to model that out like relatively quickly because they're not you're not making probably 100 different models and linking them together for sure um the big thing is that the shop that i worked at before they worked with some of the largest REITs um in the self-storage industry they have their modeling capabilities so we'll always take those and then transfer them to our model but there's a lot of assumptions that have to be changed or altered. Um, it goes through our entire process, right? Acquisitions is really the beating heart of that whole system, but we need to go through research, asset management, portfolio management, investment committee. I think the, the trouble with these you know, large transactions with it would be that 
a lot of the times you would have to cherry pick which markets that you like, which properties you didn't like. And there would be a lot of friction between acquisitions like some of these, research like some of these. And there was a lot of, you know, checks and balances that you needed to go through. It definitely helped us, you know, standardize a process and make sure that, you know, we're making investments for our clients. Sounds like a great learning experience. I mean, being able to rip through that many deals, I mean, I'm sure we learned, learned a ton doing that. So no better way. All right. Nice. Well, yeah. Thanks, Evan. I mean, I think why don't we maybe before we get into what we've been doing most recently, let's kind of start broader, maybe why we were in Phoenix and Florida and kind of what's what's going on. So I think I'll I'll start, you know, I've been buying property, you know, mostly multifamily, but all in the Midwest, you know, the last 15 years, you know, you think about the multifamily business, at least the demand side, you know, it's simple. Like where are the people moving to? Where's the population growing? You know, so that kind of having, you know, like the last five years in Chicago, in a lot of the Midwest, there hasn't been much rent growth, at least, you know, Chicago, we have all the data, maybe we'll get into that later, but you know, you already matrix five-year rent growth for Chicago, depending on the type of property, it's, you know, it's less than a percent and some it's pretty close to zero. And then you look at a Sunbelt market like Phoenix, five year per year average rent growth, 8%, 10 years, six and a half, you know, so different, you start looking at that enough and you go, well, yeah, you got to make a move down there, at least diversify and have like a blend. So, you know, that, that had us, uh, you know, let us start looking at the South and Smile State, Sunbelt, whatever you want to call it. He's not here today. We also hired a data science guy. You know, Javi, we bought tons of data. He's developed their own AI and machine learning model. And we have, you know, the rents predicted now down to the zip code for rent growth, you know? So then that's been a huge help kind of to give us some unique insights, but also then like kind of reaffirm what a lot of the like data we can buy. Like, okay, mm-hmm. that's, I was saying what Yardi said for past rent, but they also have like a predictive thing that we have too. That those products, it's just like by market though. It's like, well, here's one number for Phoenix. When we, we were able to break it down to the zip code, and kind of using that and then, you know, just starting to underwrite deals. You know, we've underwrote a ton of deals um, across the South. I mean, maybe Evan, you want to jump in? Like, what have we saw? I mean, we underwrote 30 plus deals, you know, I think in the last few months. Probably more than that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> obviously, multifamily has been so hot from just a macro perspective. Everybody really wants to get a piece of the pie. And you're seeing three caps all over the place. It doesn't matter on the market, except for probably Chicago. But I think, you know, you hear the same sort of anecdotes from brokers or just different personnel in these markets where tradeouts are 10%, 20%, 30%. Maybe let's just explain what a tradeout is. So yeah. A tradeout is the new rent compared to what the old rent was um, for a new yeah. So on, what's the move out rent with the old tenant? What's the move? What's the new rent with the new tenant? Correct. So you would be given these anecdotes or sort of gut feels from brokers, right? And we'd be told the certain data points that we should be underwriting, yeah. say 10% for a Dallas deal, let's say. And we, we model it. And in our model, we have it broken out by, I can look at the average rent of leases that were signed by specific floor plan by month. And we can observe trends within that time frame. In those observations, they may or may not align with what we're being told. And when we make those observations, that helps guide our decision making. And that's what's driven us to you know, a, a Phoenix or a Tampa, where those anecdotes really ring true with what we're actually seeing. Could we get sent a deal and let's say, I mean, one comes to mind where it's in Dallas, we're told like, well, trade-outs are up 15%, 10%. 
then when you do the a rent analysis tab and it has every tier mapped out and you look at it and it's like, well, actually they only happen on like two units mm-hmm. out of the 50 or hundred or whatever. And then like the trend wasn't actually as clear on a lot of those deals where then and when you look at that same tab and it's in Phoenix, it feels like every unit at every building traded out at a huge increase. So that's a really nicely formatted tab, able to tell, you know, clearly. Color coded. <laughs> right. With uh, So you don't even need to look at the numbers barely. Just the whole thing's lighting up green. And so those Dallas deals, right, they're, we're being told 10% on those. But in that trade out, the prior lease had one month of concession. It makes sense that it would be 10% on that basis. But in a market like Tampa or Phoenix, there are no concessions because everyone wants to move there. And the, the trade-outs are just 20%, 30% on gross rent and that effective, no concession offerings. And that's kind of the opportunity we're seeing in terms of like, uh, what kind of deals to target. So then if you did have that kind of rent growth, you know, 10, 20%, I mean, I think Phoenix, this is a couple months old now data, but I mean, like by like July or August, which is a while ago, it was like up 22% this year, like the rents. So then if you signed a lease last December, that thing's 20% below market now. So then it makes sense to go in on a low cap rate, you know, going in knowing you can just mark the rents to market, which just means on the next lease charge the market rate. And then uh, you're going to stabilize at a, at a cap rate that's pretty attractive, you know, above a four cap. And like, that's the kind of valuation you're going to see uh, like that kind of low four cap in like a lot of Midwest states. Mm-hmm. You know, we looked at deals in Wisconsin and in uh, Minnesota, and they were going for low four caps. Well, and even some deals, maybe even lower, but you can get, we can get to the same place in Phoenix because with the huge, uh, I guess the other term is lost to lease where the rents are below market with the huge loss to lease and then mark them to market. And in year two, you're in a similar value to where you might be in uh, Wisconsin or wherever. But now going forward, you're in Phoenix where we have every trend in the world that, you know, <laughs> in your favor. Right. And so. it's, uh, you know, it's a, uh, it's a growing market, um, but it's also being thought of as an additional gateway city, almost uh, interior gateway city. So is that what they're saying when you're, Land- when yeah. you're there? Land- Landlocked. Landlocked. That's yeah. A, yeah. That's, that's what they're saying when I'm out there. And uh, the new primary markets, you know, Austin, Phoenix, Tampa. I'm just yeah. kidding. This is the, <laughs> I mean, this is an interesting comparison, maybe, you know, something that you had said uh, that I, I thought was really interesting. We never, we haven't done the, calculation yet but let's say like and i'll get into like the cap rate let's say in the real primary markets versus phoenix so like you know you maybe in los angeles or new york the cap rate's going to be in threes but also in in austin texas and in phoenix or wherever those are in the threes but for different reasons i mean you had explained this you had a good theory on this evan so you should explain it so i think traditionally you wouldn't believe Phoenix as this gateway market that we're calling it now. Yeah, that was, kind of, that was we, kind of a joke. That's, I don't know if we should yeah. be calling it uh, that just yet. But I'd say the, the macro environment is pretty similar once you look at these larger markets in the South and compared to you know the actual gateway markets, right? You're going to be paying three and a half cap rate for something. But when I look to maybe Phoenix versus a Los Angeles, in Los Angeles, you're not getting nearly the same rent growth, but you're paying that three and a half cap or your four cap, whatever it is, because you have that established gateway market. It's the second largest market in the United States. It's a global market as well. But Phoenix for something, you know, it's not quite in that Titan category with the New York's, the San Francisco's, the Los Angeles's of the world. 
And because it has such explosive growth, these cap rates are trending downward because of that anticipated growth. So you ultimately get to the same cap rate for both markets, but for very different reasons. What about the, that idea you had about discounting the cap rate back based on growth? You want to? For, for one thing, and you said it earlier, where the going in cap rate for a lot of these deals, they're sub four all the time. They're three and a half, they're 375, they're three and a quarter. But just from marking the market on you know, this loss to lease, you're getting back to that four. And then on top of that, you, know, you have this explosion of rent growth in this prior year where rents have been 20%, 30%. But even prior to that in Phoenix, rents have been growing six, seven, eight percent year over yeah. year over year. So in a traditional real estate private equity sense, the standard has always been to underwrite these opportunities with inflationary growth. Year like 3%. Year. 3%, yep. 4% maybe if you're feeling lucky. In thinking about that, I think of returns, there's different components to returns, right? I think of it as you have your yield, you have growth, and then you have risk, right? And on top of yield, which everyone has a good idea of what it is, it's your, your NOI divided by purchase price. That's going to be the one that you have the most confidence yep. in, right? But because of this standard of always having to underwrite with inflationary growth, you're almost handicapping yourself and there's almost less value being attributed to what the market is actually doing. Um, so in thinking about that, if I have a Phoenix where I'm stabilized, I'm going in at a three and a half, I'm marking the market to get a four, the market already grew by 30% this year. Is it going to get cut off the legs and you just go back to 3% tomorrow? Probably not. Because we've observed in this last cycle, things are growing by six, seven, eight percent year. So, in baking that in um, to our modeling, I think it's important to make that distinction. And then let's look at where are we at in five years after all that embedded growth, and then discount it back to today almost, and then compare these markets apples to apples. You know, it's interesting. You know, thought on the the you know future cap rate after your rent is uh you know. It, increases over time you know i think some something we're definitely gonna eventually calculate because it's kind of that's makes a lot of sense and then i think you'll be surprised how uh, attractive like the basis is in you know your phoenix your austin your tampa like these places where it's really growing well nice yeah i think that's good in terms of talking about that stuff um you know we were just down the three of us we went to phoenix pretty recently mm-hmm. i mean one of you guys want to we talk about that, like kind of what we like saw actually being on the ground. Download our 100 plus page passive investing guidebook today. Accredited investors can sign up for our multifamily investment opportunities as well by hitting the invest now button on our website. Now back to the show. That was, uh, you know, a week or two ago. Um, and we came to the market with a deal in mind and came back with several deals, yeah. um, which was uh, obviously a very successful trip. We started out, we, we got there late at night and I don't think we could help ourselves. We yeah. wanted to go <laughs> see uh, what the property looked like uh, in the dark. Well, it was interesting. It's in a growing area. Let's say it's in a, you know, so it's, it's, you know, it's an tr- area that's transitioning. So check it out at night. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, that was, uh, it, it was, it was interesting. I mean, we, we obviously got there very late. The property is still under construction, so there wasn't much to see just yet. But there was a lot to see about the area. You know, that was, that was I thought, well worth it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, But yeah, then that, you know, next day we did, the, we did the full tour of the market. We started in South Mountain area, which is the area just directly south of downtown. 
and north of the South Mountain Nature Preserve. Um, met with a developer there who had been in Phoenix for, I don't know, 10, 20, yeah. 30 years. He lost his shirt one time, and now he's making lots and lots of money. <laughs> yeah, that's, how it, that's the life of a developer. You know, made our way out west, went through Roosevelt Row, which is a nice uh, section of downtown that's really, I think it's that sort of walkable center with tons of amenities for, for young professionals. Um, it was really interesting to see that because I think we didn't see it so much in other areas where the, you, you saw the culture, you saw a lot of the restaurants, you saw the street art. It was definitely something where you saw a lot of life being breathed into this area. And then we, we made it back out east to uh, you know the property that we wanted to go see that was under construction. Met with the broker, met with the developer. I uh, got to got to walk the the units, single family rentals, and they're going to be very good construction. Yeah. You know, with uh, I forget all all the finishes, but I mean, we yeah. noticed right away that it was going to be top notch. Yeah, he was. I mean, his intention is he's building it to sell to the to homeowners to the consumers, mm-hmm. and he's yeah, he's not sparing any expense. I mean, spray foam insulation in the ceiling and just going all out. You know, instead of doing a, like a cheaper floor on the. Mm-hmm. On the lower level, first floor, he's doing a tile uh, that looks like wood. Just one, basically one of the most expensive things you could pick, almost. But yeah, so he's going all out. So it's gonna gonna be nice, and then um, you know, or you should pick it back up. And these were, you know, the the larger, more traditional type of single family rental homes. They were townhome styles, but they're all three and four bedrooms. You know, ranging from sixteen hundred to two thousand square feet. So it was a you know a bit of a contrast of some other product that we saw that day, um, which was even further east um, in Mesa. It was actually in East Mesa, so we were just like right on the edge of the MSA there, and it was a more new bungalow cottage style single family rental um, community. I think it's really homes and name only because it, it very much felt like an apartment. But you have all horizontal development where, you know, you have your backyard, um, you have your neighbors, but they're to your left and right. They're not above and beneath you getting that that noise drowning out, you know, your Sunday at home listening to your your neighbor do whatever. So what you're talking about. So we we go to East Mesa and then there's deal we looked at and it's like it's uh, they would market that as a single family rental as well. Or, Correct, but it's the unit mix. So the first one we look at, it's three and four bedrooms, uh, garage, mm-hmm. like essentially in your unit as part of the first floor. Garage, two stories. Yep. And then the next, the uh, so you're saying you're you you're viewing that differently. Like so, we go to into the next property, and then the unit mix is like one beds and two beds. Were they marketing those as single family yes. rental? That's one thing that, uh, and I've heard Evan say this before. Sorry, I knew where you were going with it, but they were, yeah, they market it as a single family rental yeah. community, but it's like the unit mix is it's one bedrooms primarily. Yeah. So then, yeah, or in two. twos. So what is that really a single family rental? It's the, they say that because it's on trend. So everyone get excited. Right. Like this is a single family rental deal in Phoenix. Can't yeah. get any better than that basically right now mm-hmm. and then uh you know but then when you look at it it's it's like it's really more like an apartment product than mm-hmm. uh than a house single story apartments i mean makes sense i mean that would be appealing to me at my like age with a kid i mean you know if you're in a traditional apartment you're worried about you know kid making noise or what are the people below you doing it's mm-hmm. nap time or they're smoking or just any of the kind of normal you know like apartment living stuff like that's all eliminated with that so that you know i like the product but then it's interesting yeah they'll comp it to like 
well, look at this three bedroom house we found like that rented for this. And then they, you know, want to comp their three bedroom unit to that. And it's not really the, the same. So still under that single family rental umbrella, mm. but very much different types of product. Yeah. Um, Let me, and actually, it's a funny story then. So what uh, we went to that property, we want to with the one next door. You want to say what happened and they explained which one. Uh, okay, so we go to the property, and then the one next door had just sold super cheap because right. the equity wanted to get out of it, right? I'll just say the whole story then. Yeah, so the then, story. okay. And then, no, I didn't know if you wanted to jump in because no, you, fi- you it. found it. We all sort of start laughing where we're like, wait, that guy wanted to get out, and then he sold too cheap? Like, oh. what's that guy's number? Like, let's find him. Yeah, the, and then, uh, you know, that's the first thing. <laughs> the restaurant guy. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, why yeah, I wanted, yeah. you, you wanted to say it. I was going to say, go for it. Because yeah. that, you know, then the first thing Sam did when he got back, we looked it up, and then uh, at least according to CoStar and whatever else, he doesn't have any other. Yeah, owns, owns a few other, uh, I think it was retail, office, but... Uh, no multifamilies. Unfortunate for us. We'll yeah. Find <laughs> yeah, we're we're gonna yeah. we're gonna keep keep tabs on him and yeah, uh, an alert on it. You know, so afterward, you know, that was a, a great tour. We learned a lot about Mesa and like everything that's going on over there. Yeah, I think that area has seen really explosive growth for employment. You know, lots of data centers, thing, things of that nature. You could see everything that you know. It, it almost looked like everything was built overnight. I mean, it's very new. I mean, it's very, very nice area. And then we, you know, we made our way south towards Chandler and Gilbert. I think we we saw the the Intel. Yeah, facility. I mean, you hear so much about that. Where yeah, they're building all the chips there. So why not swing by? Mm-hmm. And that's also, I think we went by that one of the Apple data centers where that is pretty well. Uh, couldn't really get too far, but you could see it was there at least. So it's mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, pretty well protected. Yes. And then, uh, you know, drove through Chandler, Gilbert areas, which were kind of your more traditional, like sought out neighborhood suburb type places of Phoenix. And then uh, had ourselves a nice dinner at um, a sushi restaurant. Um, There you go. Treated us, uh, Drew treated us pretty pretty nicely. (laughs) Um, And then uh, the next way we made our way over to uh, Midtown, um, met up with us. some other guys that we had, you know, uh, relate prior relationships with. This is the following day you're talking yep, about? Yeah, the following day. So looked at this property in Midtown, all sort of value-add centered projects, right? So we, we saw lots of gut rehabs, um, then uh, made our way over to, um, you know, one of my former colleagues uh, with at my old job. Um, she works for one of the largest property management companies out there. I think they have 20,000 units under management. Nice. Um, got some, you know, really great data to go by. Got a, you know, whole overview of the market. So it was definitely, you know, very fruitful trip over there. And then Sam stayed a few extra days. <laughs> yeah. I did. Stuck around um, for a few days, you know, after I dropped you guys at the airport. I uh, continued to just tour the market uh, on my own, really. And you know, you can hear as much as you want from the different brokers and, you know, different people, but until you're, you're really there and, um, you know, not on Google maps, driving yeah. the streets, you don't fully understand just the different nuances. And I think one of the main takeaways from doing that was how pockety Phoenix can be, um, you know, street by street, it's a little bit different. Um, you know, whereas 
you're in Chicago, you know, there's nice areas and there's there's areas that are less nice. What really surprised me is like, but there's it's a neighborhood kind of thing where like the neighborhoods are, you know, each unique and different. And then, it, I mean, in Phoenix, it felt a lot like there's just less of a neighborhood and more just kind of like, right. this is a good street. That street's improving. This It'll be a street of brand new houses and followed by a street of, of houses that are falling apart. Um, yeah, it was really interesting because then even a couple of these, I asked my people I knew that have lived in Phoenix their whole life. And then what about this area? And there wasn't even like a neighborhood name for some of it. It was just sort of like, yeah, that's a good area. And I guess as a real estate guy, you know, you love to see areas kind of kind of like that, that, you know, where every other house or, you know, it'll be some nice some some less nice because that tells you you know you're you're kind of looking in the in the right spot you know when you're trying to project growth and and where the market's going yeah you always want to buy the (laughs) you know the one of the cheaper houses in the right on the better area you know from from there after i dropped you guys at the airport i i think i drove around midtown the rest of the day around a few of the properties that that evan had mentioned and was just taking notes um you know street to street What's it like? They, you know, writing down the names of properties that I wanted to find the owners of and and give yeah. them a ring, you nice. know. Um, and so I, you know, I think my my iPhone notes. I think I got honked at a ton because <laughs> I every I would keep pulling over and like you know. Got to put your flashers on. Then. Yeah, so, yeah. So my observation. Uh, but uh, I think the the next day, let's see, that was probably the the next time I went out, I I went all the way from mesa uh you know to goodyear which is if you don't know you know mesa's to the east goodyear is you know all the way to the west um extremely far out up to deer valley through glendale up to deer valley you know i I did over the weekend actually (laughs) i played uh, at estrella mountain it was a nice course a lot of a lot of new subdivisions new housing but uh you know over to Scottsdale and I think everywhere in between and really kind of identified some the areas that we should be looking at. And I think that my observations after doing that have kind of echoed what I've heard from broker sentiment, as well as some of the other owners that are already in the market that we've talked to some some investment companies um, who, who we know. So, you know, it was uh, it was really insightful. You know, we, we had been in the market a ton before. Uh, but it, you know, really having driving the market with with knowing what what you're looking for exactly. I think being made. down there, I mean, that really a lot of these people we've just been talking to over the phone or emailing, you know, whether it's owner or broker, you know, and that assert and you know that yeah, this this particular trip, I mean, more than probably anything, I mean, one of my takeaways was just kind of like the value of being there in person, mm-hmm. you know, actually mm-hmm. meeting them, like. I mean, we think about we go down there and then we're looking at one deal and all of a sudden you meet with the guy or gal and you talk to him out, you know, for like an hour after the tour. And there's, you know, a bunch more stuff yeah. to look at. Yeah. Oh, wait, <laughs> I got I got something else for you guys yeah. to look at. You know, I, I haven't sent this one around too much. And then, you know, and we're um, I think people see we're like straight shooters. We know what we're doing and like that helps with the deal flow for sure, too. Yeah. And I like the I mean, finding the stuff off market. I mean, that's basically our kind of. Bread and butter. When we were remaking our website, I went back. I calculated, like, what percent of our deals, just like, since I basically started, were off market or from a repeat seller or repeat owner, and it was was eighty percent, eight zero. So as we good to work with, people see that, then you get sent another deal or that seller they wanna sell, and then okay, there's 
a little complicated. I want to do a 10, you know, one of the deals we bought last year, seller wanted to do a 1031 and have like 90 to 120 days to close. So he wanted something reliable. And it's we've actually transacted with that guy, I think, three other times prior. So makes sense, you know, that that deal works out for everybody. And then some of the other ones were also off market last year, but they all were like loan assumptions. And that's mm -hmm. it's a, you know, you kind of. So then, but then it's a lot of that's just, you know, you get to know the brokers and know what you can do. Uh, so yeah, being there in person, I mean, that catapulted that. A lot. And now, you know, I think since then we, um, you know, I've executed LOIs on, on, a, on a couple new properties and, um, you know, just having that under our belt now and yeah. being able to say, hey, li you know, listen, like, you know, that's a good point. A lot of here, they get a lot of people, I'm sure where, in all the growth markets, I'm sure where they go. They look around, they don't really do anything. That was a lot of the feedback I got was, you know, a lot, they've seen a lot of window shopping and, you know, the, so when, when you actually go there and meet them, you know, it, it's different than a phone call. It just really is. And, and we saw that as both of you mentioned, I mean, you know, we walked out of there first time with, I think five or, or six more off market, you know, not, not widely marketed deals to look at. And then this last time I went, um, I just got back yesterday. I, uh, around the same amount. I mean, yeah, I know you afforded them. It was like every day. Yeah, every every after every meeting, I had yeah. I had more more deals, and um, yeah, so no, it's really got lots to underwrite. You know, if there's sure. anything that I've learned, it's you know, you, you, you got to get out there. I mean, even even here, you know. I mean, I, that's one that was a huge takeaway of mine. You know, from the trip was just sort of you know you get a ton of uh, you know window shopping. I'm sure if you're the brokers in these hot markets, where you know you get people call and email from all over the country because it's a hot market, you know, but then um, actually going there, meeting the brokers, I mean, it really, you know, helped the relationship a lot. And then mm -hmm. they kind of see that you're, you're serious, you're reliable, you know, you can, you can do these and they start sending you. You build connections, you know, they know similar people to us who are in the market, who are doing deals, you know, you kind of explain our company background, you know, where our money comes from, our systems that we have in place. And kind of the team that we have back here uh, yeah. to let them know we're capable of, of executing these deals. It's interesting. Some of these scenarios, they just keep repeating themselves like the 1031 deal I was talking about where we set up the timing exactly what the guy wanted. I mean, he, that was a deal in Chicago. He wanted to buy stuff, you know, out West. And so probably more important than price was just the timing. I mean, the price had to still be relatively strong, but, but not what you probably would have saw if it was like fully marketed. And then, um, just sort of repeats itself, you know, we're down in Arizona and they have it's another same scenario. The guy just killed it on a property and he wants to, you know, sell and, you know, do a 1031 exchange back to California, buy something there. And then, you know, they see us, we explain like, wait, we've done that. That's do a 90, let's do a 120 day closing. We'll be here ready to go, you know? And so then they like, you know, they like the sound of that. And that's probably not something you would have just figured out on the phone. I mean, I'd say um, a strategy that, uh, kind of showed itself in that scenario is something that we've tried to um, keep consistent with is um, because the market is moving so fast, having that 60, 90, 120 day closing or getting in on these properties while they're still being built and locking in a price today. I mean, it, you know, it's uh, just based on how fast the market's moving. It's it, It'll be, if it doesn't seem like a fantastic deal at the moment, in six months yeah, that's a good or point. eight months when it's, you know, the property is delivered or when the seller is ready to sell, 
that that'll be a great price. That's a good point. Yeah, 120 days in Phoenix would be worth more than rents right. are moving by the yeah, day. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I felt like while we were there, rents and prices were going up. Yeah, you know, we yeah. what was the quote? Five percent easily one day. <laughs> yeah. I know we were we were there. Um, the, the musician that we all know, but I'm don't remember his name. That's the you know they got the this new price line. You know, so yeah, we'll have to look that up. No, the one memorized for the next one of these. Mm-hmm. But yeah, something with that was yesterday's price. During that one deal with uh, the broker and the and the builder, every every single um, yeah. unit we went into, the the price kept getting higher. Well, I mean, right, and they and you know, uh, be selling some of that stuff. I mean, costs are going to go up, and you know, you know, things are moving fast. Mm-hmm. Nice. What? Anything else you guys want to touch on? I mean, that was basically the trip. I mean, also when you we uh, when you were below down in phoenix i mean that we also i mean a big part of that was like shopping apartments like as a potential renter um so that's a big part of what we do like you know you see a deal you know we have a lot of ways to get rent data i mean we have yardy matrix which that they have the rents for basically every even medium to large property in there um and then we can run a you know a rent regression which we will get into that later but like we have all these ways we can kind of evaluate rents with these tools we have but then just like a big piece of it is actually going to the property i mean you were doing that on and off for two days mm-hmm. you're going as a potential renter right you know especially in those the single family rental deal that we passed on in the south like that that don't have that many comps so then you should just go to them and then you right. get the real scoop and it's interesting sometimes you go and then it's like it's a little softer of a market than it might feel like on the right. computer or you, you ask if they're given you know any free rent or right. any concessions and all of a sudden you know to hit that that thirty two hundred dollar mark, they're they're giving you a month free, um, and you can you know I mean you you don't see that in Phoenix a ton just because the market is so hot and um, single family housing is um, you know in such high demand and there's a shortage on the retail side which is pushing them and and part of the reason why we why we love the product in retail side being just homes to buy what and then what was your sort of move when you go to shop the apartments like i i could i'll go second if you got i mean i always say because i want to see as many units yeah. uh, different units as possible i say you know i'm i'm moving down pretty soon um they ask you when when yeah, you're moving right. i say you know it's pretty flexible could be next month could be in in three months yeah okay that's not they <laughs> don't know? they don't want to hear that they're you ready to um, show me your vacants i'm ready to move now they you know they entertain it regardless but um and they say, okay, are you living alone or, you know, are you going to have roommates? I say, yeah, yeah I'm thinking, uh, I'm thinking about it. You know, my, my situation is kind of fluid um, yeah, nice. depending on, you know, the price, the size, um, you know, I might live alone. I'm, I might have a roommate or, or two, you know, I'm not, I'm not quite sure yet. Right. We want to get into those <laughs> yeah. I know I'll start out for the two bed work from home, yeah. you know, there you I, go. I like yeah. some space to do that. So they they usually entertain you take you into to whatever you want to see i mean you are the renter you're the, you're the customer but i do the same thing where yeah let's check out the two bed i mean that's probably just me uh you don't want a home office i think and then and once you go there you're like oh this is a pretty good deal maybe let's check out the three beds and mm-hmm. you know those will pop into one bed while we're here get my bases covered and then yeah that uh okay yeah same same move for me so. when i'm go shopping um i like to say that i'm just looking for a one bedroom and then get them to tell me all the rates. And then I'll ask, oh, what was the, what was the square footage on that? Okay. And I'll say, oh, that was 600, 700. 
Oh, that's way too small. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Way bigger. <laughs> no, I'm, My Chicago apartment's yeah. twelve hundred. Yeah, I'm, bigger. From Chicago, <laughs> where you see these. Uh, show me your two and three bedrooms. Yeah, I know. And then at the end, they're like, "Which one do you like the most?" And it's like, "Well, this three bedroom penthouse duplex <laughs> yeah. that you took me to, like that was good." So it's funny. Okay, then yeah, maybe um, rent regression. I mean, I touched on that. I mean, for for one thing, I'll just since we were on our still on our trip to to Phoenix. It, it's it's so interesting to go to these markets finally after coming off you know the yeah. last couple of years of covid and one thing for certain about phoenix it is an urban sprawl and it just contrasts so sharply to a chicago which obviously i've been here yeah. the last two <laughs> years and not have uh not have traveled you know so much but chicago really has you know the downtown district the loop um, it's really the engine of the city, right? Where, whereas with in Chicago, Phoenix, you have the 202 Loop Highway, which goes all the way from downtown, east through Tempe, east through Mesa, down south through Chandler and Gilbert, back to South Mountain and around. There's multiple hubs and uh, where people work. So downtown, which actually felt pretty sleepy when we were there. And then you have those more vibrant districts like Scottsdale, Financial District, Midtown, Tempe, Mesa. So it was really interesting to really see that. And you have to understand like when you are there, obviously with a Chicago, the things that are most important to us living in the city are walkability, public transportation. But Phoenix really felt like you have to drive everywhere you want, especially if I'm a Chicago transplant and can't handle the 115 degree yeah summer um i think it was a uh, 100 degrees while we were there it was a nice fall day <laughs> yeah it was a nice fall day um so that that was really interesting and like one of the things that i found really interesting is that phoenix you know we we know the growth there zillow produces a lot of research and one of the interesting things that i found is that since 2010 the average home in phoenix has appreciated over 8% per year and Incredible. some of the highest growth zip codes, because this uh, research tool is by zip code, some of those highest growth neighborhoods are actually um, right near the city center, which I think is very intuitive. And like those are areas that weren't necessarily deemed, I don't know. Yeah, they're sexy. transitioning, they're, they're transitioning. improving they're a ton. Yeah. But it makes sense that that would be the place to go because. Let's say the the zip code where we were looking at the the single family rental deal um, closer to downtown. I can get to downtown. I can get to the financial district. I can get to Scottsdale, Tempe, all within fifteen right. twenty minute drive. It's already you know a driving market. That makes total sense and is yeah very quick to get everywhere from there. At the same time, I I feel like maybe we didn't feel so much about like we didn't experience so much vertical construction where we were there like we you know started our day on thursday in south mountain that's where you really saw the land out in east mesa you you almost feel like it's expanding outward and then within you know the infill which it is very infill and you see a lot of those properties and areas just gentrifying which is very interesting it makes sense and that zillow thing that was it's very interesting and then um you know, to see that kind of growth is so widespread, you know, mm-hmm. this, you know, 8% is the average, but it's 
felt like on the low end it was six and then in a lot of areas 12 kind of thing you know where it was not wasn't like just a couple areas were doing that and that was over such a sustained period of time i mean year over year it's been seven eight percent and then baked into that i think i said eight percent you know you have those 2020 and 2021 numbers which are 20 30 percent something crazy but you have those years prior where the growth was still very high and you know things are accelerating which is the the main takeaway I know. there's some know? of these growth rates you get sent them and you're like is that per year or yeah. like over like a cumulative period or what are we even looking at and yeah. it's uh i mean you did that one calc of like a set of deals mm-hmm. or was the and i just looked at another set of deals today um within another pocket um with a deal that we're looking at um right over by midtown there were two deals that traded twice within a four-year time frame. I think their last sales were either in early 2021 or mid middle of 2021. The price appreciation on both of those uh, were 27, 28%. And over you know, per year? Per-, per year. Per year. Someone bought this in 2019, sold it in 2020, 2021. Okay. The compounded yeah. yearly appreciation yeah. was 28%. So you, know, you see that every so you had it for two years, you put it probably going on fifty percent plus. Correct. So you know, one one would think that uh, you know, as a new buyer entering the market, that might be, you know, something that's a little scary and something that you should be wary of. And I think another interesting thing to note is that um, rent to income ratio the amount of rent you can get is is what really drives the value of these properties right and you know as we've um continued to to do our research we found that even with these insane rent growth numbers that are driving these these higher prices and and with cap rate compression we're seeing that kind of affordability mark you know the amount of income that consumers are spending on their rent is actually getting lower, which means that inflow of high-income earners due to the different businesses relocating to Phoenix due to people from California Mm -hmm. um, and and wherever else, you know, looking to to move due to, you know, the political situation over there or, you know, whatever it may be, you know, cost of living, taxes, you know, it's it's actually market is remaining pretty stable just to reiterate that like the you know so rents have ran up a ton let's say in phoenix but in in that market the incomes have ran up even more so then if you look at a rent to income ratio you know last year or the year before versus the next year or this year like the you know rent divided by the income is is going down so they have so much which is crazy given the the amount of uh rent growth we're seeing but what's, well, it's interesting. I mean, you know, but it, it does make sense because let's say you work for a company and you're in Los Angeles and they close the office and say, okay, work where you want. Mm-hmm. The person's getting paid Los Angeles money. They're moving to Phoenix. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's, you know, for whatever reason. And then um, then the income is up right. you because know, of that move. And then, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of great, you know, employment options in Phoenix. Right. So the employers there and then, um, you know, competitive labor market right now. So that. Yeah. Makes total sense, but it's actually yeah. crazy to see that. And yeah, and we have that data basically by zip code for the whole country, so we can just pull that out for anywhere basically. And we've saw that not just in Phoenix, pretty much. I mean, almost you know, 
like across the board, let's say in the country, but what's so unique with Phoenix or just really jumps off the screen is they like, okay, probably the rent, the rent to income also went down in Chicago, but we haven't enjoyed a 20% year to date rent increase alongside that. Right. So, yeah. And when we were at that property management company's office on that Friday, they have 20,000 units under management and they track rent to income ratios of their portfolio. Yeah. The people who apply and whatnot since 2010 or 2000, whatever the number Mm -hmm. was, it's always hovered in that mid to low 20 percentage number. And then you see this sharp decrease in 2020, 2021, when now it's like sub 20% of my income being spent towards rent. Well, the rents are rising you know, 25% year over year. So yeah. it's just, uh, that it kind of blows my mind. Nice. What, and yeah, for that meeting, I end up, you know, I went to two more properties. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, any other takeaways from that, that meeting? I asked you guys, but as you were in the car on the way back, but I don't. It, it was definitely a lot of the things that we've kind of observed before. They were telling us that trade outs on units were in the 28 to 32 percent range. <laughs> Crazy, I know. Okay. Um, <laughs> That's good. And one thing that was actually surprising was that the turnover rates, so not trade out, turnover, yeah. just people leaving their units, you know, it probably traditionally sticks around 50 percent, maybe a little bit lower, maybe a little bit higher. That rate of turnover has actually gone way down. I don't know the exact statistic, but. I guess that means tenants are on defense right now. Can't give up this lease because I'm going to have to move somewhere. It'd be hard to find a place. You know, pay 10% above what they're asking. Or even just worried you'll find something. You know, if everything, if the rents are running like that and it's it's probably as a renter, it feels hard to find something even at that point. Mm -hmm. You know, because I mean, some of the owners we did meet with when we were talking about what's their leasing, how does that work? And they're like, uh, just rents in a day. So we don't really have like a much of a plan, but. Mm-hmm. Which I did think when the people said that, I was like, we well, just charge more. I mean, it could go like a week, mm-hmm. maybe, yeah. you know, on the market. Yeah. Like, that's, be fine. maybe that's the price too cheap if it rents in a day with yeah barely any ads or something. I think uh, another insight we had after or while we were there was the demand uh, for three and four bedroom homes and and understanding that that was um, a, a product that is in demand uh, in Phoenix. Um, we were talking to one of one of the guys there who we were meeting with. He has put in he's trying to buy a home um, and he put in offers on five different homes. Um, he even put in offers 15 percent above asking and somebody would come in all cash, 20 percent above asking yeah. price and, and buy the home. And I think he's been looking for what was it? O- over a year. I think, do you guys see that video that was going around on social media where the Apple was for sale? You guys see this? No. So it's, it's like a joke video, but it's about this exact scenario because the guy's like, this Apple's for sale. You start the bid off, you know, like a dollar or 10 cents or whatever it is. It keeps getting bid up to let's just, we'll just pick, it gets bid up to a dollar. And then at the very end, somebody from California goes in, wow, an Apple for a dollar? I've never seen one that cheap. I'll pay two. And then like in the video cuts. So I mean, that that's that guy's experience, you know, that same, you know, person from LA that can work from home, you know, they've never, never seen a house for 600 yeah. grand before. Yeah. That's like a, and, and like a condo. And then someone asks, can I see the apple? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> no, of course not. Yeah. That, yeah. That video is well done. He's like, no, it's not, you can't, you're out. 
That was the other thing. It's no lo- no inspecting the apple. You just were right. well, bidding over asking. You can't. You got you to gotta bid and, and yeah. close. I mean, they don't even let you because there's so much demand. Can't even see that. No, that's a funny that, video. You know, one of the hypotheses that we had, at least when looking at other markets and one in particular, Dallas, we thought maybe... Obviously, Dallas is a market that has absolutely exploded in terms of population, job growth. Everybody wants to move there. But the rent growth hasn't necessarily been there so much as a Phoenix. And maybe we believe that because developers are a bit more proactive in building new product to meet the demand. One thing that was interesting, I think at least like this was an anecdote, you know, told when we were there where. Um, maybe developers in Phoenix were afraid to dip their toes in the water um, after the GFC yeah. because people really got burned. I mean, yeah. that developer that we met on Thursday, 70 million, 70 million in the hole. I mean, they would have lost everything fan. values. I mean, it was, you know, people were flying high with $600,000 houses. And then, you know, basically in like a matter of a you know month's time, things mm-hmm. are worth 200 grand. Cause that was a crazy time where you could get a, no money down, negative amortizing loan. So like your interest rate would be 7% on that, but you just pay two. And then the 5% you didn't pay just gets tacked on the loan. Like that's how, like that's what was, you know, that market was pumped up. And then, but home prices were rising so much. And, you know, especially some of these markets, I'm sure, you know, California and these places, I mean, homes have probably never gone down before almost you know, mm-hmm. nearly. So yeah, that, yeah, you're right where they've been, uh, you know, we're burned big time. So, I mean, it's, you know, pretty apparent that supply is not kept up with the demand. And they shared another interesting tidbit. And I don't know how they got this, but they said that 93% of builders have been impacted by labor or material delays. Interesting. And where did we, where did you hear that? This was at the property. Yeah. Okay. We, right. we had a similar stat, I think, in our in our trends so i don't know if they're just calling up every builder in the market or it's just it's, you, well it's just, yeah are you it's affected a, uh, yeah i'm sure it's a survey that went out and then you just answer yes or no yeah mm-hmm. and then um hard not to imagine being affected with how i mean we've been affected i mean you can't it's Ever, hard, it's hard to then, secure an appliance he, even for an existing deal and then even at one of those value add deals that we yeah. looked at in midtown you know the guy's telling us all of his contractors are coming to him saying this person's going to pay me five yeah. more or whatever it was I'm going to go take that job and then just leave with their project halfway done. And he had the same guy had almost really bought like, a, I think that was a total number I was going to say, but he had, you know, like a few hundred thousand dollars of materials just on standby, essentially at Lowe's, like mm-hmm. already paid for, but that's, you know, his washing machine and his lumber, you know, just kind of buying ahead, knowing that you're going to need it. I, I will say every single builder or uh, I talked to some of the construction crew at, at a few of the sites, they every single person had said the exact same thing. Um, labor. They were like, yeah. we, we can't get labor. When I was talking about timelines, when things were going to finish, they were, they, they all came back to that and said, um, you know, that, that they were significantly delayed, um, not necessarily because of supply chain, which is also, you know, it is a factor, but I think the number one thing was, was labor shortage. Well, nice. Yeah. Anything you guys want to touch on then? Okay. Well, yeah, no, well, I mean, I talked about when we were looking at rents and uh, uh, rent regression, you know, you were the first one to do that, Evan. So maybe you want to talk about that, like another way we look at, you know, rents. 
one thing that we do to verify assumptions in our model, specifically rents, we're able to download a comp set from our data providers, namely Yardi, where they have the data is never perfect, but it can provide, you know, a great mapping tool for you. Actually, one of my old bosses at my uh, former company, one thing that he liked to say is when you're lost, any map will do. And, you know, with us not being in Phoenix, you know, we've learned a lot just going there, um, meeting new people. I feel like we already have a great lay of the land. But when I'm having to take anecdotes from here and there, from a property manager, from another owner, from a seller, from a broker, those are traditionally things that all go into my head. And I'm trying to calculate something with all these data points. And it can be convoluted or you can miss out on some things or what you're being told isn't necessarily reflective of reality. So one thing that we do is we map out all of the comp sets within a certain that fit a certain criteria to match our property within a certain radius. We can map out um, rents by square footage and see where where does opportunity lie. So for something For example, this Midtown deal in Phoenix that we're looking at, there have been several deals in that pocket that have been bought and renovated. And we can look at what is our going in rent and then what is our post-renovation rent? Where does this fall in this scatter plot of square footage by rent? Am I missing the mark? Am I, you know, completely overly aggressive. So those are the insights that you can get. I know it's not, you know, the world's perfect tool. It is a tool. It's not the toolbox, but it's something to help us verify our assumptions. And I think, you know, we came back from Phoenix. We had a few deals to underwrite. We were pretty giddy about them because we heard only super rosy things. And you put it into this model and then you have to still (laughs) look at it twice and you have to sort of temper expectations a little bit maybe. Um, but nonetheless, you can learn a lot. Yeah. The way it's laid out, I mean, it's a visualization, you know, mm-hmm. where you're looking at the, we have one that is, yeah, per foot rent, and then the other one's just a rent in total dollars, so mm-hmm. chunk rent, whatever you want to call it. But it's not, well, it's not broken up by bedroom. It's just, you know, the per unit rent on a scatter plot. And it's interesting because then you see where it's at today. Hopefully it's below the middle line. line. Best fit. And then you have, um, then you see where the renovated rents are. You know, a lot of deals you look at, and it's like, wait, that's on this scatter plot. It's right next to like a bunch of new deals, like new construction. So then, would we really get that rent on our renovated, you know, twenty-year-old building? Like, so then, it, like it, a lot of times, it jumps off the page. What's mm-hmm. going on? Or, I mean, pretty often, like I see deals where people are looking at just like the total rent a lot. Like, the two beds should be fourteen fifty or whatever, and there depends where you are. You know, eighteen fifty, and then you know, but then you start like looking at, but this deal we're looking at, the two beds are small. Like, why are we like, this is, it just all just jumps off the page with the way we're analyzing it. We don't have to, it really helps like not miss something. Exactly. I mean, it, it is set up as a regression where we're measuring what the rent should be by square foot. So it's a line that's fitted for those, those two data points. And obviously, you know, it's easy when you're there saying that, okay, across the street, they're getting 1500 on renovated units but maybe the units are way smaller. And what is the delta from that regression line? Because it should fit relatively 
I'll say relatively uh, in sync with how far another property is from a regression line if they're similar comps, but maybe not the same square footage for the units. Makes sense. It's been a great tool. And then, yeah, combine that with, uh, you know, being there in person, actually shopping the deals. Right. I will say it, it, it definitely helps to quickly give you some pretty significant insight into into what's going on. And then on top of that, a few times, you know, rather than just using the export from Yardy, I've actually gone in and manually inputted the comps from go shopping or pulling pulling the today comps. It, it's a really great starting point to understand kind of where that relationship to the other properties has been historically. And then, you know, to take that one step, two steps further to then really dig into the today numbers, especially in a market that's moving so quickly, like Phoenix, um, and coupled with going there and actually yep. seeing the difference once you have this mapped out, that one's really similar to ours mm-hmm. or seeing the floor plans and, um, you know, knowing that, oh, these units are, are better or, or worse because, you know, the layout of a floor plan or the height of a ceiling in a unit yeah. Has a big factor, you know. It's not just the the square footage of the floor plan. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's it's a it's a really good tool when you pair it with all the other methods of right. evaluating. So, I mean, for one thing, it tells you what comps you should be looking towards because I think it would be very easy to just underwrite a deal. Okay, what are the comps now? Maybe I I Google search yeah, apartments right. in Tempe, but those Google searches. That first uh, hit that you get, that's probably not a comp. That's the, paying the most for the yeah. That's the class A luxury building that you know whoever is paying um, you know great advertising money to Google. Right. Um, but yeah, then um, you know understanding in more detail locationally where are these properties located at? Why might this property that's you know just a few blocks away, a few blocks north? Why is that? so much more desirable than our property when the square footages are the same, the amenities are the same, maybe it has to do with, you know, we're looking at something in Tempe and one's closer to ASU campus or closer to the amenities. So that's the, that's the, the insight that you have to pair with this data analysis. And then it's interesting. I mean, one of the comp sets we ran, there's just two properties that's right at the bottom, like inexplicably. <laughs> so we're like, all right, let's, Give those guys a call. Right. See what, see what they're doing. I've looked into them. I I have yeah. some notes. Uh, I've been, been very busy lately with this, the, everything we have going on. So, we'll we'll get to those. You call from the airport. Yeah, they really think you're making moves. Yeah, so. and then uh, I mean the other group that we met with, you know, you saw a deal in North Phoenix. They couldn't stop talking about the loss to lease on this property. We go like, okay, I mean, we'll take it for what it's worth. And we put it through the regression line and you actually see that delta of where this stands relative to all the comps yeah. and the loss to lease is absolutely massive. So then with that, you see opportunity. So to, to expand on um, kind of that loss to lease conversation, it's, uh, you know, where are, what are we looking at and, and where are we looking to um, find that value for our investors, right? And so, um, in in the deals that that we've been targeting, um, I'll start with new construction. Um, this this townhome deal in Central Phoenix, we're looking at. You know, we are moving quickly on this deal because 
it is, you know, when, when you drive by, and I think as we discussed before, this, it's just sticks right now. You know, it's, it's not finished. Um, they haven't even started going vertical on half of, half of the units um, that we're acquiring. You know, when we can get in and lock in a price today, we already discussed how fast the market's moving. Right. Uh, and then on top of that, we're eliminating competition because there are 1031 buyers um, or people looking to place capital today where if this project was completed, they would certainly be uh, trying to buy it. And so having our, having our patience um, but locking in a price today, you know, knowing that we're going to get this product and, and, and knowing that we're not competing with all the money that's out there looking for single family rental deals in Phoenix, right. which sounds cliche that, you know, because yeah. that's what everybody in the industry is talking about. You know, right. it's Phoenix and single, single family, family rentals. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, um, so, you know, wherever we can get some juice and, and that, that being one angle of approach is, is something that, that we have been kind of focusing our efforts on. Um, and on the other end of the spectrum for existing property, it could be property that needs some work, um, but more often so it's property that's just been mismanaged, not by a professional management company or it has been, but it could be a bad management company. Um, and just based on how fast the market's moving, they haven't been able to keep up their rents um, uh, with the market. So there's significant loss to lease there. So targeting, targeting those properties as well is, is another angle of approach that, that we've had to kind of finding this value in the market. Okay, nice. Yeah, those are great points, Sam. I think uh, maybe let's, you know, probably let's let's leave it there you know i think uh maybe let's go back to the rent regression thing make sure we kind of explain that completely i think we sort of kind of skipped a little bit to the conclusion or how well we do once we get the yardy info but maybe let's explain it from because what we're running is a linear regression so a stats thing or calc like let's let's just start from the beginning like let's explain it is it like we or as if you aren't familiar with the linear regression like what are we doing with this rent data we have. So we source the data from Yardi. I'm able to make uh, a search for properties that fit a certain criteria, namely criteria that fits our property in terms of when it was built, where it's located, how many units, unit types, things of that nature. And just to jump in, so Yardi, what they have built is they have a system where they're scraping all these different places for the actual rent data. And then they're they're putting that into a, a uh, essentially a program that we can buy and have a license to. And then also even, and also Yardi, they have an accounting program. And so they have, for some deals, they have the actual true rent roll and expenses mm -hmm. because people use Yardi for accounting. They do for the expenses, they anonymize it where if you pull the expenses from one area, then they got to, needs to be a certain number of properties to so not just give away at that one. Um, but at least, so, so there's this, we have this, very robust thing we can pull current rents from. Correct. And so when I export that data, there will be information, of course, where the property is located, but also by floor plan, by unit type, how many studios are, how big are they, what are the rents? Same thing with one bedrooms. How many, what's the size, what are the rents? And when I 
extract that information, what I'll do is I'll put it on a scatter plot where essentially you have an X and Y axis where I'm showing square footage of the unit on the X axis. Follow me. Yep. And then your chunk rents on your Y axis. So just the rents per unit in dollars. Not- Correct. Correct. And then what I can do from there is have a fitted line or, you know, you have your independent variable of square footage. And what would that just on square footage alone predict in terms of rent? And then based on these different points where I have my property, I have the comp set, where do these fall along the line? Are they above? Are they below? Are they right along it? And from there, I can see where value might lie, particularly if I'm doing a value add type of deal where I can see maybe the units at the very top of the market. So your 2020 construction, class A stuff. Where do those fall? And then where do some of these more vintage properties, you know, built in the 90s, the 80s, the 70s that fit our property, do they have renovated units? Are they unrenovated? Where do they fall? And then where does my current rent by square footage fall on this scattered plot versus where does it fall after I do my renovation? And with that, I can compare to the comps if this is financially feasible. It's a great visualization because you have, you know, let's say you're, you know, ideally, so yeah, you have your line of best fit going. If it's a rehab deal, it's going to be below that line. It's going to be near other properties that haven't been rehabbed recently. A lot of times we'll get a deal loaded up in there and then the the renovated rent is sitting right on this visualization next to newer properties. And then mm-hmm. you're going like, this is not not realistic to take this building built in, you know, 1990 and put it just right next to something built in 2020 correct and get the same rent so it's really easy to see uh, so yeah i just wanted to make sure we we explain that all the way or you might have properties of the same <clears throat> vintage where the units are much larger getting 1700 on their renovated rents and maybe you hear from a broker or a seller or whoever and they're saying you can get 1700 and then you put it on the scatter pot maybe our units are much smaller than that so there should obviously be some discount to where we're right. actually ending up based on that. Great. Yeah. I just want to make sure we had explained that fully. Let's leave it there. I mean, yeah, thanks for, thanks for being on guys. Thank you. Thanks yeah. For us. Yeah. And hopefully that kind of gives you guys like a little insight to what we're doing every day. You know, we, uh, you know, we're actually in these markets or, you know, one of us is going down there. We're underwriting dozens of deals and, you know, we, uh, I think in a future podcast, we'll have our AI machine learning data science person on. We can talk about the AI model we made and how we're able to predict rents by zip code. And then um, also we'll get into maybe how our underwriting model works. And we've created a database where we can export basically every variable out of it. And then it sits in a, one big master sheet where then we can pull all the uh, relevant information we want quite easily so all right yeah and hopefully that gives you guys a look behind the curtain on what we're what we're doing every day all right back to work guys let's go (laughs) thanks for joining us on the rise and invest podcast please be sure to hit that subscribe button on youtube or wherever you enjoy your podcasts if you'd like to dive even deeper into real estate investing 
check out our company's website, riseinvest.com, where we have numerous free resources and information that can help both active and passive real estate investors. Our 100 plus page passive investing guidebook, our trends report, and our blog are all available on our website. If you are an accredited investor, you can get started today as a passive investor in our multifamily investment opportunities by hitting the invest now button on our website. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of Drew Brenneman and guests as of the date of recording and do not purport to reflect the views or opinions of Rise Invest Holdings LLC and its subsidiaries. The views and opinions are provided for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon or deemed as investment or tax advice or an offer to buy or sell securities. And the speaker cannot be held responsible for any direct or incidental loss incurred by applying any of the information offered.